Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Thursday, February 24th, we are studying Luke chapter 11, verses 14 to 36. When Jesus' opponents accuse him of being in league with Satan, Jesus reveals himself as the stronger man who defeats the devil, and he calls those who listen to him to pay attention to the sign of Jonah. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have this regular guest, Pastor James Preuss. Pastor Preuss serves at Trinity Lutheran Church in Ottumwa, Iowa. Pastor Preuss, welcome back to Sharper Iron. Thank you. As we get started this morning, Pastor Preuss, let's talk context. Where have we been in Luke's Gospel? What should we know leading up to this text in Luke 11 today? Well, uh, Luke had 24 chapters, so we're in chapter 11, so we're not quite halfway done. Uh, but a whole lot has happened in the Gospel. Uh, he has uh, he's just taught, immediately before this text, he's just taught his disciples the Lord's Prayer, and then given them a, what appears to be a private lesson on prayer just to his disciples, uh, whereas this pericope that we're going over today... Uh, is a much more public event. It's not just his disciples, but onlookers, the crowds, and enemies, of course, who are falsely accusing him. Uh, and it, although it's, it's not quite halfway through the, the Gospel, uh, things are progressing quite rapidly. And Jesus has already, as you know, Jesus, uh, it records that Jesus predicts his death uh, three times. He's already done this twice. Uh, he's already sent out his disciples, uh, and Luke actually has two uh, sending out, where he has the uh, sense of the 12, and then he sends out the 72, and they've, they've returned. Uh, he has been transfigured before Peter, uh, James, and John, <clears throat> and uh, he, has, uh, has been, he has set his face toward Jerusalem. He starts to be rejected by, the Samari- uh, by that village in Samari- Samaria. He's, he's rejected by them, and uh, his disposition has changed quite a bit. And, and a big thing, too, which leads us into this one, is Jesus has cast out a whole lot of demons already. Uh, the, reading the first few chapters of Luke, you see it all over the place. He is constantly at, in battle with, uh, with Satan. So uh, it really does, I mean, this is kind of building up, I think, to this accusation and uh, for him to uh, rebuke them and rebut it. With this text, it's a pretty long text. How would you structure it? What are we going to encounter besides the thing about the demons? Well, I mean, how would you lay this text out for us? Yeah, well, Jesus is given two challenges. And at first, when you're reading, you think he's only addressing the one, but he addresses both of them. So for the first half of our text, about uh, he addresses the first challenge, which is that he casts out demons by Beelzebul, who is the prince of demons. So he, of course, he gives that well-known lesson of a house divided or a kingdom divided uh, is laid waste, and a house divided cannot, uh, will fall. And then the story of the unclean spirit cast out and then returning. And then he has a catechetical conclusion to that, where a woman cries out a blessing to the Virgin Mary, pretty much, 
and he says, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. So that statement right there is the little catechetical nugget, meaning this is something that you should memorize, put it into memory, uh, keep it in your heart, and th- this is what you should take away from this lesson. The second uh, challenge that Jesus is given is they demand to see a sign from heaven, uh, which seems quite, quite obtuse, uh, especially since he's just cast out a demon. Uh, but uh, he addresses that as well, and that's where, as you mentioned earlier, the sign of Jonah is brought up. Uh, and, uh, and then he has a catechetical uh, lesson at the end of that where he talks about uh, a, when you light a lamp, you do not put it under a basket, but you put it on a stand. Uh, and uh, and that, that lesson there uh, is the catechetical conclusion for uh, the, the, the accusation of the sign and, and, and how do you recognize the sign that he is actually giving well, we'll take that text then in those two parts. First, the challenge he faces concerning the accusation he's casting out demons by the prince of demons and the catechetical lesson that goes with it. So this is Luke 11, verses 14 to 28. Now he, Jesus, was casting out a demon that was mute. When the demon had gone out, the mute man spoke, and the people marveled. But some of them said, He casts out demons by Beelzebul, the prince of demons while others, to test him, kept seeking from him a sign from heaven. But he, knowing their thoughts, said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and a divided household falls. And if Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? For you say that I cast out demons by Beelzebul. And if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore they will be your judges." But if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are safe. But when one stronger than he attacks him and overcomes him, he takes away his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoil. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, It passes through waterless places seeking rest, and finding none, it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house swept and put in order. Then it goes and brings seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. As he said these things, a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breasts at which you nursed. But he said, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. That's the first part of our text. That's Luke 11, verses 14 to 28. Pastor Price, as you mentioned, there are two challenges brought to Jesus in this text. They're both named there at the beginning about the accusation, casting out demons by Beelzebul, and then asking for the sign from heaven. Jesus will pick up the sign from heaven in the second part of our text. Tell us about this first accusation, though. He casts out demons by Beelzebul, the prince of demons. Sounds pretty, it's pretty preposterous when you think about it. Yeah, it, it's an absurd uh, accusation. It's clearly blasphemous. It's clearly meant to uh, get a rise out of Jesus and his disciples and to uh, cast doubt. Uh, and, and anyone who's read the book of Luke, you read through it and you take this as an actual history, it's, it's absurd. Uh, Jesus is the very first thing that he does before he begins his public ministry after his baptism uh, and after you know, the, 
after his baptism is he goes into the wilderness and he's tempted by Satan and he wins. He doesn't fall uh, into temptation. Uh, Jesus, his, his miracles from the very beginning, he is casting out demons. Uh, they are claiming, proclaiming him to be the Son of God through the Holy One of Israel, and he silences them uh, because it's not his, uh, their, his time yet. Uh, you'll ha- have the account of where he, he casts out the demon named Legion, for there are many demons in the man, uh, and uh, uh, that's where they go into the, the pigs. And then uh, you also have him uh, even giving his disciples, with, with both sending out, I mentioned earlier, mm-hmm. he sends up the 12 and he sends up the 72, and in both cases, he commands them to cast out demons. The first one, he, uh, it records that he tells them, cast out unclean spirits. And then the second one with the 72, and they return, and say, even the unclean spirits are, are subject to us in your name. And then Jesus responds uh, to that, uh, that, you know, we, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. And he even says to them, do not rejoice that the demons are subject to you, but rejoice that your name is written in heaven. So uh, not only for the reader of the book of Luke, do you see that this is a, a terrible accusation against Jesus before it was false, but also for people who are living at that time. Like, uh, I mean, these people haven't read the book of Luke, but they know that Jesus has cast out demons. That's why they've come up with this idea. Well, anyway, Jesus uh, destroys this notion with a very simple concept that you don't even have to be a Christian, really, to understand. And that is, a kingdom divided is laid waste, and a house divided will fall. Uh, Abraham Lincoln uh, adopted this. I believe it was uh, when when he was giving his acceptance speech for the Republican nomination for Senate, which he then lost, I believe. So that, I think that was the speech that he gave. So before he spread them, he, he, he was talking about slavery. Well, anyway, I mean, it's, an, it's a concept that you can bring into a lot of things. If you have a divided household, a divided marriage, a divided church, a divided nation, then you are going to fail. And Satan obviously isn't going to be divided. Now, perhaps Satan might come up with a ploy of making it appear that someone who's in league with him casts out demons, or you can see Satan being clever in that way. But... This is not what we're seeing. We're seeing Jesus left and right casting out every demon, destroying their work, undoing everything that they uh, labor to accomplish. They're terrified of him. And then he sends out his disciples to do it. I mean, they're witnessing Jesus and then his disciples after him uh, waging war against the demonic hordes in Israel and winning. The, The idea that Jesus is doing this in league with Satan is, is absurd. And then uh, Jesus lays the accusation on them where he says, well, if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons cast them out? Mm. So you see, uh, this is kind of an interesting thing, because I, I, I wonder what were exorcisms like, you know, mm. before and during the times of Jesus. Uh, and I'm sure that there were some who pretended to do it, and maybe there were some who succeeded. I mean, God, God knows. But what we do know is that there were those who were casting out demons in Jesus' name, even those whom the mm. disciples did not know. Because uh, we hear about that at the end of uh, chapter 9 in Luke, mm-hmm. where the disciples are upset that someone's casting out demons in Jesus' name. Uh, regardless, uh, you do have the events, otherwise Jesus wouldn't mention it, of, of even the Jews, the Pharisees, the people among the Pharisees casting out demons. And you think, well, 
if I'm casting out by Beelzebub, who are they casting them out by? Uh, and uh, it's, it's a very simple concept, and it uh, and he proves his point immediately. He pretty much silences them and makes them look like fools. Right. It is. Uh, another. We'll keep going. Oh, yeah, keep going. But, well, I was just going to say that the name Beelzebub. I don't know if I've mentioned it yet. Uh, well, I guess it gives the translation. The Be- No, it doesn't. It says uh, that he's the uh, prince of, of demons. So Beelzebul means Lord of the Flies. So in Martin Luther, when he talks about this, he says that they are belittling Satan by mm. calling him like a bumblebee type of a thing. Uh, but uh, re- regardless of that, Jesus then t- takes this title, and then he says, but if it's the finger of God that I cast out demons, Things, the kingdom of God has come upon you. And this, is, uh, this evokes a well-known story. So all of, probably the most well-known Bible story among the Jews would have been the story of the Exodus mm. with the Ten Plagues, not only because it was the most major event in the Old Testament, uh, as far as the people of Israel are concerned, but they were actually commanded to teach their children uh, this story at the Passover, and so like, why are we doing these things? Why are we having the seven days of unleavened bread? They say with a strong, uh, God told them to say with a strong hand, the Lord led us out of Egypt. So they're supposed to know these uh, ten plagues. Well, in the third plague, you, you know, the first couple, the uh, magicians of Pharaoh, uh, we, uh, you know, they duplicate what uh, what Moses and Aaron are doing. When it comes to the flies, when he makes flies everywhere, that's when they say to uh, to Pharaoh, you know, this is the finger of God. Uh, so it, it's a it's kind of a play on words there, uh, but it shows. I mean, Jesus, only God is the one who. I mean, it, Satan is God's devil, right? Uh, and so he only is able to do as far as God permits. But God has the power to cast them out. Uh, so it's a. Uh, he brings in some Bible history there, and they would have recognized that that reference. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the the simplicity of Jesus' response to this accusation, you know, I mean, it's just it's so striking and so wonderful to watch how how easily he deals with it. As you said, in a way that even a, a pagan could understand, it could be appropriated in any number of contexts. The argument that he makes, even in in secular contexts, and I mean, to to watch Jesus at work in that way is is, is wonderful. And what he what he the point that he makes is, I, I think that you know, Satan actually isn't divided against himself. As you said, perhaps Satan could use a tactic like this as a ploy, a, a deceptive way. To, to act like he's divided, but on a scale this big, it's clearly not what's going on. And and as you pointed out, all the examples in the Gospel of Luke where, I mean, one after another, these demons are basically just lining up to take a shot at Jesus. They're lining up to take a shot at, at the disciples, the apostles and the disciples alike who Jesus sends out. And over and over again, Jesus defeats them. So, that, I mean, you've got this united kingdom of Satan, if anything, that's united against Jesus and and is attacking Jesus and Jesus over and over again is defeating Satan and his demons such such that the the Exodus reference there the finger of God is is very helpful to see that to, to point out to these opponents of Jesus look if this is what's really happening then God's kingdom is here you need to pay attention and then I, I think that helps to illuminate the the next image that Jesus gives he talks about a strong man and then a stronger man yet. What's that picture, and what's Jesus teaching by it? Yeah, 
Uh, absolutely. The strong man is Satan, and uh, the, his spoil would be us. It would be the human race that has been held captive by Satan ever since the fall. And uh, Jesus is the stronger man who comes and removes his armor in which he trusts, which is his lies. So he, he disarms him uh, with the truth. And he disarms, and also his accusations, he disarms them by taking away his ability to accuse us, by taking away our sins. Uh, and then he scatters the, his spoil, which means he, he rescues us from the jaws of hell. Um, and, and this very much connects with him saying, you know, but if it is the finger of God, then the kingdom of, of God is upon you. This is something for them to, they should be paying attention. It's like, oh, wait a minute, we were being, you know, impious uh, boys in Sunday school, and here we are hearing the words of, of God. We should, you know, sit up straight and listen to the teacher. Uh, and Jesus is telling them that, you know, this isn't something to be goof, goofing around about. And of course you have in, in, in parallel passages where he said, he talks about the sin against the Holy Spirit, uh, because it's the Holy Spirit who works through the Word to create faith. And when you mock the Holy Spirit, you mock the message of the Holy Spirit, uh, then you are, you know, you're playing with fire, quite literally, uh, with hellfire. Uh, so, and, and what's really great about this too, is it foreshadows the destruction of of Satan. So every time Jesus casts out a demon, it, it's just kind of like every time he heals someone, every time he opens the mouth of the mute and the eyes of the blind and uh, the ears of the deaf. Uh, whenever he raises the dead. I mean, this isn't what he has come to do, you know, in, in, in its complete form. Uh, these are all just kind of like, like tremors before a major earthquake. Uh, and they're, they're signs of what is to come. Christ comes to completely destroy Satan, to overthrow his kingdom. So it's an interesting thing when Jesus talks about, you know, Satan's, you know, Satan's, if, if Satan's kingdom is divided, well, then it's going to be laid waste. Well, that's what Jesus has come to do. So, uh, you know, Jesus, uh, Satan himself isn't going to divide his kingdom, but Jesus has come to divide it. He has come to destroy it. Uh, so, uh, I, you can't see this apart from Jesus' work in his passion and death for our sins, and, and keep that in mind that his faith is set toward Jerusalem. Uh, this is what he is, uh, is interested in, and this is why things are getting more intense. This is why the demons are getting are festering more and getting more uh, angry, uh, because he's going to the cross where they will finally be be cast out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I appreciate you again setting this in the context of Jesus having his face set toward Jerusalem and and identifying the cross for us as the place where where this strong Jesus as the stronger man does come and bind Satan, the strong man, and and set us free. I mean, just if you think back, you mentioned Jesus' temptation back in Luke chapter 4, and the temptation there so often, you know, if you are the Son of God, essentially avoid this this road of suffering. And it's amazing how that same temptation really comes up again in Jesus' passion, where the it's in the mouth of the Pharisees, the chief priests, the scribes, the religious leaders, you know, if you are the Son of God or, or some variety of that— You'll come down from the cross, and then we'll believe in you. But but it's precisely there when Jesus is on the cross that he is acting as the stronger man, binding the strong man, and and 
you know, disarming him and emptying his kingdom, the devil's kingdom of, of us, of, of he plunders, plunders us and takes us to be a part of his kingdom of light. Right. Well, and this also, uh, I mean, not, not to jump to the, to the conclusion, but this, his disciples should be listening to this too mm. and remembering, wait a minute, he just, for the second time, told us that he's going to die. And this doesn't make any sense to us. Well, this is what he's talking about. And of course, they don't get it yet, but, but they, they do after the resurrection. Right. Yeah. I mean, we, we've seen the disciples several times since Jesus has, uh, since he's set his face toward Jerusalem, not, not quite get it. It's going to, to keep getting worse, really, through the gospel and, until you get to after the resurrection and Jesus opens their minds at the end. And then, of course, when, in Pentecost, in the first chapters of Acts, they're, they're the, the disciples, quote, get it as the Holy Spirit reveals these things to them. And they, they go back and they understand what Jesus was talking about. Now, in, as Jesus continues here, in, he's used the image of the strong man, Satan. Jesus is the stronger one overcomes him, plunders his kingdom, takes us, brings us into the kingdom of light. Then then Jesus, I mean, he, he really tells you what the stakes are in verse 23. You're either with him or you're against him. You're either gathering or scattering. And connected to that, he talks about what might happen if an unclean spirit leaves and then wants to come back and take us into what's verses 24 through 26 maybe are a little hard to understand. What, what's going on? How does it connect to what Jesus has been saying so far? Well, yeah, I think there's a good bridge here with that verse you just mentioned, that whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not scatter, does not gather with me scatters. Obviously, that's connected to a, a <clears throat> kingdom divided with laid waste and a house divided uh, falls. And, it, I mean, it's giving them the ultimatum. Like, are you, I mean, hey, stop playing around accusing me of, of being in league with Beelzebul. Are you, are you with Beelzebul, or are you with me? Are you going to gather with me, or are you going to scatter with Satan? Uh, and of course, then you'll be d- destroyed. But this, these, and when an unclean spirit, this next uh, passage, when an unclean, the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest and finding none. It says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the wa- house swept and put in order. And then it goes and brings seven other spirits more evil than itself. And they enter th- and dwell there. And the last day of that person is worse than the first. Uh, it reminds me uh, of when Jesus says to the man uh, that he heals after 38 years, the guy who's at the at the uh, pool in Jerusalem, and uh, he goes and finds him later, and he says, you know, sin no more, so nothing worse will happen to you. Uh, when when Jesus casts out a demon, um, he is there. You either there has to be something there that fills the void, and this whole idea that we can be neutral between God and uh, and, and Satan is, is absolutely not true. It's kind of funny. I, I think you know mo- most of us uh, remember when George W. Bush gave that ultimatum with like the war on terror, and he said, uh, "You know, either with us or you're against mm-hmm. us." And it's an interesting thing because like, you know the geopolitical uh, aspect of it. I mean, I, you can actually be neither with or against, right? There's such a thing as neutrality in the uh, in, in politics and foreign policy. Uh, but in this case, there is none. And, and this is something that people should recognize as, as Christians. This whole, well, you know, I don't have anything against the Church, but I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to be over-religious. I don't need to go to church every Sunday to be a Christian. So, well, okay, you're making a decision. And are you making a decision in favor of the Lord or against the Lord? And, I mean, all oh, that's putting me in a hard spot. Well, yeah, you're, you're, all, you're born in a hard spot. 
uh, it's either you're with Satan or against them. And one huge p- part of this is when it comes to baptism, um, it's very, very common, uh, even not only among our within our church body uh, with Lutherans who maybe get confused, maybe get our poorly catechized or they did not keep up with their catechesis, but also outside of it, uh, outside of our church body, is people want their kids to be baptized, or they themselves want to be baptized. Usually they want their kids to be baptized, though, is what I've encountered. It's really, really important for the kids to be baptized. I'm like, okay, that's, I agree. It's very important for children to be baptized. Uh, and what I always say is, well, okay, now when the child's baptized, that means that the child's entering the Christian church and must remain in the Christian church and be nurtured by the Christian church, uh, growing in the, in the Word of the Lord. Like Jesus said, go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them all that I have commanded you. But the problem that I see often is that people want the baptism, but they don't want the teaching afterward, or the teaching before, for that matter. They don't want to continue in the Word of God. Hmm. But it's, it's important for us to remember that baptism is not just plain water, but it is the water including God's command and combined with God's Word. And that uh, certainly not just plain water does these things, but the Word of God in with the water does these things along with the faith which trusts this Word of God in the water. So without God's Word, it is plain water and no baptism. We know that as a Lutheran. You should also remember that when you remove the baptized from the Word, then they cease to be Christian. Uh, this whole idea that you can be baptized and then you're a Christian forever, uh, without continued teaching in the Word of God, without continued repentance, contrition and repentance, and uh, drowning the old man and rising again, uh, is, is contrary to the whole teaching of baptism. Baptism is not separate from the teaching of the gospel. Mm. So all this to say, is in, in, in baptism, whatever unclean spirits may be in you are cast out and you receive the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit comes to you in no other way than through the Word of God. And when you cease to hear the Word of God, or when you reject the Word of God, and the Holy Spirit is not going to be dwelling with you and in you uh, through faith. Uh, so that's the most practical application of this verse that I can find. Uh, but also, you know, idle hands are the devil's workshop. So Christians, even between Sundays, right, uh, we should be in the Word of God and also be busying ourselves with good works. Obviously, good works do not save us, uh, but the Word of God does, and sin does destroy faith. So we should be learning the Word of God, we should be diligent in our prayers, because, you know, there is no neutral ground. You know, if you're sitting watching Game of Thrones, which Christians at this point shouldn't watch, I mean, that, that's, that's filthy stuff. Uh, but if you're doing that, like, oh, well, you know, it's just a show, it's okay for me to do this. Well, how much TV are you watching? How much time are you spending on the Internet? How much time are you spending on social media? And how much time and are you saying your prayers every day? And are you, you know, saying devotion? Do you read the Word of God each day? Do you go to church every Sunday? Do you pay attention to the sermon? Uh, so if you're not doing these things, then you're letting your house be swept clean for, for uh, seven more evil demons to come and make you a worse condition than before you believe. 
Yeah, that's a that's a strong warning to be sure. Particularly that last sentence of that section: the last state of that person is worse than the first. I mean, just think through some of the people Jesus has encountered in the Gospels, possessed by a demon, what he did in healing them, and how great of a change that was. That their their first state before they met Jesus was awful. He healed them, and Jesus is saying, "Look, if if the Word of God doesn't fill that person." Then the next state, when the when the demon comes back, that's even worse than the first. And the first was really, really bad. So a strong warning from Jesus to be sure. He's going to follow it up with a blessing. We're going to pick that up on the other side of the break. You're listening to Sharper Iron here on KFUO. We're talking Luke chapter 11 with Pastor James Preuss. We'll be right back. Please stick around. Did you know that Lutherans are helping new American immigrants get settled? How about struggling church workers in need of support and refreshment? And we assist at-risk children and provide disaster response to hurricane victims. Through LCMS recognized service organizations, we are doing all this and more. I'm Rahema Kavuga of Lutheran Church Extension Fund, and I don't want you to miss out on hearing what your brothers and sisters in Christ are up to. Visit interesttime.org to see how your support gives life to these works of mercy and love. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Thursday, February 24th. We're studying Luke chapter 11, verses 14 to 36 with Pastor James Price. He serves at Trinity Lutheran Church in Ottumwa, Iowa. Pastor Price, prior to the break, we were talking about the strong warning Jesus gives at the, the end of verses 24 through 26, that the last state of a person who's had a demon cast out but is not filled with the word of God, that state is worse than the first. At that moment, someone comes up, a woman comes up and speaks a blessing. It sounds like a blessing upon Mary, the mother of Jesus. Jesus has a different blessing to speak. How you called? I think I think you called this a catechetical instruction here at the end, a conclusion to what he's just been saying. How does how does verses twenty seven and twenty eight relate to what he's been saying? How does that conclude that section? Right. So the woman says, uh, raises her voice and says, "Blessed is the womb that bore you, the breath that which you nursed." It's a very pious thing to say, and I'm not against people saying nice things about. Uh, about Jesus' mother. I mean, Jesus obviously holds her in high esteem. Uh, but she misses the point. It's, it's, what, what, she, what makes her blessed is not even that she bore our Savior, which, I mean, obviously that is a blessing, uh, but it is that she heard the Word of God and kept it. You know, she, she treasured up these things and pondered them in her heart. And this cate- I love the word uh, catechetical or catechism. These, I think it's something that we should have in our vernacular. Uh, simply means, I mean, it's something that you echo. So it means it's something that you should have memorized. So blessed, rather, are those who hear the Word of God and keep it. If you remember that Jesus says these things, uh, it's an interesting thing. People often they'll say, well, you know, is this law or gospel? Well, yes, yeah, that's a good question to ask. Well, is this a command or a blessing? Mm. Uh, it, it, but then sometimes you have to ask, what are you, what are you getting at there? Uh, what are you, why are you asking whether it's a right. command or a blessing. And, uh, I mean, if you're trying to understand, you know, is this something that's saving me, or is this something that's showing me on my sin? Well, that's a good reason. But if your motivation is, is this, because, is this something I have to do, or is something I don't have to do? As if, if it's a blessing, well, then I can, you know, I can bypass that blessing. I can choose whether I'm going to take that blessing or not. No, I mean, this is a blessing. I mean, we don't know what it means to be blessed until God blesses us. So, we should want to be blessed. 
And Jesus says, it is, you are blessed if you hear the word of God and keep it. And say, so, you know what? I'm going to take Jesus' word for that. And I should hear the word of God and hold it in my heart and, and learn it. So, I mean, the last you know, segment that we were on, I kind of ended with you know, pretty hard law preaching, that neglecting the word of God, this third commandment stuff. You should, not, you should fear and love God. So we should fear and love God so that we do not despise preaching and His Word. Hold it sacred and gladly here and learn it. And uh, this whole idea—if you reject the Word of God, you can continue being a Christian as long as you're baptized or something like that. Well, well, that, that's obviously absurd. At the same time, uh, the Word of God is our immense blessing. That's the—we have the gospel in the Word of God, uh, and the gospel frees you from your sins. You receive forgiveness. You receive salvation, you receive friendship with God, strengthening of, of faith, uh, uh, power against Satan, re- rescue from Satan. It's the most wonderful thing in the world. So you're looking at this, there's this battle going on between Jesus and Satan, uh, between the stronger man and the strong man, and you wonder, well, how will, how will I end up being released from the strong man's grasped and be freed and delivered into the kingdom of the stronger man. Well, that it's through hearing the word of God and keeping it, and there's no other way that we should cherish the gospel. Uh, so it's a very short, pithy, uh, pithy, yeah, I guess, short, yeah. pithy statement. Uh, and uh, it's something that we should not only memorize, but hold in our hearts and, and live by it. It's blessed rather. You are more blessed to go to church on Sunday and hear the, the, the sermon and ponder it uh, your whole life than to, or your whole week or whatever, uh, than to even be the mother of, of God. Uh, it, it is better if you hear the Word of God and, and hold it in faith and, and uh, in a, a contrite heart. Uh, and that, that's the best, the best. I just kind of a short, my, my, it's funny, I, I think about these things with, you know, I, I labor over my sermon during the week, and then I preach it. And I have my Bible study, and I go home, and I'm tired, and I sit down, and I want to relax. And uh, my wife will then start wanting to talk about my sermon. And it's kind of a funny thing, because it's not that I don't want to talk about the Word of God, uh, but I just have a different attitude at the time. I'm, I'm tired. I, you know, I just, mm. you know, that was kind of the, the end of my week, even though it began the week. And, uh, and like, she, I mean, I've, I've been pondering this all week, and now she wants to talk about it. Well, it's the first time she's heard, you know, heard it for the week. And, uh, and it's a, what a wonderful thing it is, how pious she is. I mean, I have to you know, boast about my wife, but she loves the Word of God. She, not only did she hear it, but she's keeping it, she's treasuring it, mm-hmm. and she wants to learn more about it. And it's great. You know, next year I'll have uh, more to preach about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's a fantastic blessing that Jesus gives here, clearly. And, and what a, I mean, what a wonderful conclusion to this little section that does have that very hard-hitting law cause for self-examination, for reflection on, you know, what what am I filling myself with? And then to hear Jesus give this commendation, blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. I mean, yeah, law or gospel, that's, that's why are you asking that? That's a, that's a good point. You know, rather receive this word from Jesus with thanksgiving. Here is his gift to you in the face of this strong man, the devil who wants to bind you into sin and darkness. 
here's the gift. It's it's the word. Hold on to it. Keep it. And, and what a what a joy that is, even even for a pastor who's tired on Sunday afternoon. Uh, blessed blessed is the pastor who hears the word of God in the afternoon and keeps it then too, even when he's tired. God be praised. Yeah, right. <laughs> That's right. So Pastor Preuss, as you mentioned, the text does divide pretty neatly into these two challenges. They were both laid out at the beginning. In verse 16, you have the second challenge is mentioned there, that there are people there seeking a sign from heaven. Now Jesus is going to pick that up beginning in verse 29 of the text. So we read again. When the crowds were increasing, Jesus began to say, This generation is an evil generation. It seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. The Queen of the South will rise up at the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it in a cellar or under a basket, but on a stand, so that those who enter may see the light. Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light, but when it is bad, your body is full of darkness. Therefore, be careful lest the light in you be darkness. If then your whole body is full of light, having no part dark, it will be wholly bright, as when a lamp with its rays gives you light. That's the rest of our text for today. That was Luke 11, verses 29 to 36. So, Pastor Price, here's the second challenge. Jesus has been asked for a sign, and Jesus, in response, says, this is an evil generation. Why, why does Jesus say that? And then what is the sign that he does offer them? Yeah, it's interesting that he calls this an evil, not that he calls it an evil generation, but he says that it's an evil generation uh, seemingly because it's seeking for a sign. I remember uh, years ago when when Jonathan Fisk, or uh, Reverend Jonathan Fisk, was the uh, host of the show, and he, we were were talking, I, I talked about how Christians ask for a sign, and I wasn't thinking about this passage, and then he brought it up, and I was, uh, and and then I was like, oh, well, how do I? explain this. But the, the text that we were looking at, it, it was Abraham asking for a sign. Mm. And it, it, I mean, this is something you have, you know, Gideon asked for a sign, although Gideon, I suppose, maybe there's, some, there's probably some more doubt there. But Christians do ask for signs. And in fact, that's why God gives us the sacraments. Like, why do we have baptism? Well, God knows that we're weak, so he gives us this sign that we can hold on to, and thank God that he gives it to us. Uh, you know, the Lord's Supper, this is a sign. I mean, uh, I mean, it is Christ's true body and blood, but it's something we can hold on to, something that we can aid our our weak faith with. Uh, so there are good signs and that God is glad that we receive and will even ask for. But I think why this is so evil is because God's clearly giving them a sign. Uh, he, he just cast out a demon. I mean, what more do they do they want? They're not listening to what he's saying. So again, it also connects with what I was saying earlier about baptism. You know, baptism casts out evil spirits, right? Uh, but if you don't fill in the void with the Word of God, then you're, uh, then you're, you know, throwing away the baptism, so to speak. And, uh, and so it is here. I mean, if he's giving a sign, but then you're not listening to the lesson that accompanies the sign, then what good is the sign to you? So uh, he says, no sign will be given to you except the sign of Jonah. 
And of course, this immediately makes us think about uh, Jonah being in the uh, in the belly of the great fish for three days. Of course, that is a sign that you know, also for three days Jesus will be in the belly of the earth and or the heart of the earth and, and will rise again. Although he doesn't actually mention that here, uh, rather he more alludes to their their repentance, uh, which I think goes I think that goes hand in hand uh, that. Uh, Jonah went to preach repentance to the people of Nineveh. I think, I mean, I, we don't know all that he preached. We, you know, he said that it was, yep, yeah, 40 days and, and, and uh, this day will be destroyed. Yeah, that's anyway, right. I mean, I, I kind of think that they would have heard about this whole him being solved by a great fish thing, too. Perhaps there were witnesses and, and things like that. I don't know. But uh, either way, the preaching of Christ being crucified and being buried and rise against their day is a preaching of repentance. Obviously, it's the gospel, but the gospel is a preaching of repentance. If you understand repentance having two parts, first that we confess our, uh, first that we uh, you know, have contrition and are sorry for our sins, confess our sins, and the second that we have faith uh, and believe in, in the promise. Uh, so they're missing the sign. Uh, they aren't paying attention to what he's actually teaching along with these uh, exorcisms that he is performing. And they're also going to miss it when he dies on the cross and rises from the dead, except for those who actually did listen to the, the first sign. As it's mentioned uh, numerous times, you know, John, uh, Jesus' disciples, you know, they, didn't, they didn't understand what was going on here. Uh, but then after his resurrection, then they remember the, what he said, like when he, you know, uh, when he cleared the, temp, the temple and uh, zeal for it, and they remembered afterwards zeal for me, or when he says, destroy this temple, and in three days I'll build it up again, and they remember those words afterwards. So those who believed his words, who held on to it, uh, and kept it, uh, they're the ones who are going to then recognize these, these signs. Right. I mean, that, well, that, and that just yeah. connects right with what we were talking about in verse 28. Blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. When, when you've got the word of God, when you're holding on to the word of God, then you, you see the sign and you, you get it. I mean, the sign reinforces what the word has, has taught. And I think, you know, I mean, you were talking about the very beginning about, you know, should we ask for a sign? Should we not? That kind of thing. And you, you do have examples from the scriptures. One, one that always comes to my mind is in Isaiah chapter seven, I think it's chapter seven, where, where King Ahaz is actually told by the prophet to ask God for a sign. And Ahaz kind of, he acts like he's being pious and says, I'm not going to ask for a sign. And, and he gets judged for that. You know, it's like, when the Lord gives you a sign, pay attention to what he gives. And I think that's, maybe that's part of what's going on here. And it is, and I don't know if you, you might've mentioned this toward the beginning, but it's, it's quite striking that here, Jesus in this context, he just cast out a demon from a mute man. And now the mute man is speaking and they're asking him for a sign. I mean, it's, it's rather, rather ridiculous. What, what do you, what do you want? <laughs> here's, here's a guy who had a demon in him and is now talking. Why, why are you not paying attention to that right then and there? And so he, he does, he holds out this sign of Jonah as look, this is, this is, this is what you got to watch for the sign of Jonah. And I appreciate how you, you point out here that the repentance is really what's in view that the death and resurrection are certainly involved in that, but that's where Jesus emphasis lies here. And, and you know, to, to jump down toward the end of the text before we go to the, the middle of the, with the, the queen of the south, you know, Jesus makes the point, Jonah preached, people repented. You guys aren't repenting. Someone greater is here now. You, again, pay attention now while the gospel is being preached. Yeah. Well, and I think that's why uh, Jesus will say things like, you know, 
that uh, if, if if such signs were done in Sodom uh, and Gomorrah, then they would have remained to this day, right? Uh, and you know, the, to understand the potency of Jesus and His Word, uh, and these people are so so stubborn that they that they reject it. Uh, so you can see Jesus um, is, I want to say, he's frustrated. His frustration. That's probably not an appropriate way to say it. But he is—he's angry. He is—he uh, he has righteous wrath against this, and it's something that we should—we should fear. Um, not to you know bash on, on the Pentecostals or anything. You know, we might have some Pentecostal viewers and such. Although I, I would suggest it from Lutheran, uh, obviously. Uh, but w- one thing with these whole signs is that with the Pentecostals, they love like this—you know—the speaking in tongues and the healings and things like this. They think that these are signs of Jesus. But we should pay attention to the signs that Jesus actually gives us. Mm-hmm. And we have baptism, which does save, washes away sins. We have the Lord's Supper, which is Christ's true body and blood given to us. And if you look at Jesus' clear words, this is what they are. Uh, and yet, what does our sinful flesh want? Well, we want something that is going to be more, you know, have more pizzazz, I guess, that's going to give us a, yeah. a moving feeling. And you see how great, how... Uh, extreme it can get. Jesus literally just cast out a demon, and they're like, hey, can you give us a sign? Yeah, that was neat. I guess, can you give me something else? You know, pay attention. (laughs) Right. That's right. Pay attention. Exactly. What about, what about the Queen of the South? Jonah, I think, is a pretty familiar narrative from the Old Testament, but what about the the Queen of the South and the Wisdom of Solomon? That's maybe a a little bit, not, I don't want to say obscure, but maybe not quite as well known. Yeah, perhaps perhaps not as much. Uh, That is the Queen... Oh, now, now I'm forgetting. Is the Queen of Sheba? Is that it? I think that's right. Uh, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. The Queen of Sheba. I was, I was, you know, I knew it was an S word. Uh, so she's the one. She co- comes from far away. And I think Sheba is. Is that like in in Arabia, across the, uh, um, across the, the the water from from Ethiopia? Uh, I think that's what it is. Although I think the Ethiopians would claim to be to have Sheba too. I'm not sure. But anyway, she comes from what Jesus says to the ends of the earth. She comes from a very, very far away to come and hear the, the wisdom of Solomon and uh, you know the exchange tremendous amounts of gifts. And this is in it's just showing the incredible wealth of Solomon, the great, great wisdom of Solomon. We all know the story of Solomon. You know, God asks him, you know, what what, what do you want me to give you? And instead of asking for great riches, he asks for great wisdom. And then, and then God gives him not only great wisdom but also a long life and. And riches and 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 such. So, uh, uh, and she's set as an example. I mean, she traveled a great, great distance when that would have been a very difficult thing to do, a uh, much more difficult than it is today. So that she could hear the words of Solomon. Here they have Jesus right there. He's right in front of them. They only have to travel far. They can just listen to him, and they won't listen. They won't just be quiet for a second and stop focusing on their own thoughts and listen to the words of Jesus. And Jesus is greater than Solomon. He's greater than the temple. He's greater than Jonah. He is the Lord. Uh, he is the promised Christ. Uh, I mean, and even Solomon's wisdom, yes, he had some great divine wisdom. I'm sure he even I mean, he proclaimed the gospel in, in, in the Proverbs and, in, in, uh, uh, and uh, you know, in the Old Testament. But uh, we see from Ecclesiastes that Solomon discovered that a lot of this wisdom that he had was all vanity. There's nothing. I mean, who, who cares if he knows a bunch about reptiles uh, it's in, and birds and animals and things like that? I mean, it, didn't, it doesn't matter at the end of the day, but Jesus is here giving you words of eternal life, so you should listen. Mm. 
Yeah, definitely. Listen, Jesus is wiser than Solomon. He has his wisdom. He is wisdom, God's wisdom for our salvation. Now, you, you said, Pastor Preuss, that we've got another catechetical conclusion here. It's verses 33 through 36. The image is a, a lamp being lighted and your eye being the lamp of your body. What's the... This isn't as maybe pithy of a saying. It's it's longer if you're thinking about memorizing it, though it's good for us to yeah. memorize long sections of Scripture. What What is the, the catechetical instruction here at the end of the text? It reminds me of the Sunday school uh, song, Hide it under a bushel. No, I'm going to let it shine. So, you know, that this little gospel light of mine. So, I mean, it's a very, again, it's a very simple concept. Yeah, you're right. It's, it'll take a little bit more time to memorize. But it's a very simple concept. When you light a lamp, where do you put it? I mean, just think about your, the lights in your house. They're all like either on the ceiling or they're on a stand. They're up high. I mean, except for like a nightlight for the little kids. You don't have one like down toward, the, toward your feet. Uh, so, and you, you never cover it completely. Like if you're going to light a light, it's a waste of energy to, to cover it. Uh, and the gospel is this light. Uh, although, now we're kind of mixing it. He does say your eye is the lamp of, of your body. Uh, so how does this metaphor work? Uh, the the light is the gospel, uh, but are you going to have your 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 lamp lit by the gospel, or are you going to snuff it out and have it be dark? Uh, so, uh, pretty much, he's saying. I mean, I don't know if he's saying that you have to because people didn't really read back then, did they? Uh, but it's the same. It's the same concept of, as the hearing and the seeing. Uh, what are your eyes focused on? What's your attention focused on? What are your senses focused on? Uh, yes, you should read Scripture, but you should be paying attention to Scripture. Uh, so there are a few thoughts I have. Uh, one is uh, from the Psalms. You have Psalm 119, verse 37, uh, where he says, Turn my eyes from looking at wicked things. And again, this very much connects to what he was saying before with the, uh, you know, when, the, when unclean spirits cast out. And he goes, you know, looking for rest in waterless places. And he comes back and he finds the place all shuts clean. So then he brings seven more evil ones. You know, uh, don't look at wicked things, but on the on the contrary, look at heavenly things. Uh, be filling your your uh, your eyes with with good light. And then, of course, Psalm 105, uh, 119 verses verse one hundred five, which I think is uh, very familiar. Uh, your your uh, word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Uh, so God's word is that light that uh, that, that actually that, that guides us. And without that light, then we're in darkness, and we don't even realize how how bad that that darkness is. So it's an interesting thing. I mean, both of these catechetical lessons reinforce the same thing. It's about hearing the word of God and keeping it. It's about learning the word of God and having that be your guide, uh, and n- not just, you know, talking about the Word, but specifically the Gospel of Jesus Christ, knowing that Jesus Christ is true God and true man, that he died for your sins, that he cast out Satan, that he defeated him for you, uh, and you only have life in Christ Jesus. That's the message of the Gospel. Apart from Jesus, we can do nothing. And uh, if we are not gathering with him, we are scattering with him. So there, there are two challenges that Jesus uh, receives, and he deals with them both in turn, and they're very much related to each other. And pretty much what he's dealing with is with people who are not listening 
to the word that he is speaking. And they're not considering what he is saying as the life-giving, salvation-giving word of God, Uh, but they're just treating it as something that they can and should challenge. Uh, so in our in our day, uh, we should take this very seriously. We have the Word of God. You know, uh, we have that prophetic Word more firmly uh, you know, confirmed, given to us, and we should pay attention to it as a light shining in a dark place until the morning star rises in our heart. Uh, we, should, we should listen to Jesus and believe in what he said, believe in his forgiveness, but then also seek to do good works according to his word, so that we don't uh, busy ourselves with things that are going to lead us away from Christ, that we're not welcoming in demons after they have just been cast out by Christ. It, this this last catechetical instruction with the thought of the, the lamp and the eye, it, does, it strikes me that it goes very well with the sign, a sign being something that you see, and and I I mean you know what you're talking about with the gospel and how I mean my my mind was going forward in in Luke all the way to Jesus after his resurrection where you have those two disciples on the way to Emmaus whose hearts are heavy with grief and Jesus comes walking alongside them and they don't you know they they're sad because they don't realize what's going on and Jesus you know he he opens their minds then to understand the scriptures they still don't recognize him until till he gets there and he eats with them and he breaks the bread and then it says then their eyes were opened and so i mean i you know i, I wonder if if we can connect that here that what what is this lamp that that must fill our eyes it, it is the gospel and and how we even get a chance to to see that in i mean and you've pointed this out already in the sacraments we get to see that the lord makes his love visible as his word is combined with something so that we we do get to see God's love and again that that light just fills us with the with the truth of the gospel and and again there's the the antidote for the the demons that would would fill us one minute pastor Price, for any final comments or thoughts yeah i i think taking jesus words seriously and pondering them i mean chew on them like, what did we do to prepare for this well we read the scriptures maybe and, and we, we pondered it Maybe we look at some other resources. Uh, but the last thing that Jesus says about the eye, I think this is very important. What is entering into your body, right? Uh, what is entering into your mind? Uh, your eyes should, should be fixed on Jesus so that your whole body isn't being polluted. If your eyes are healthy, then your whole body is healthy. Obviously, this is metaphorical. I'm not saying blind people can't be healthy. Uh, what I'm saying is, uh, if you are focused on the Word of God and on the Gospel particularly, and Jesus' salvation for you, His death for your sins, uh, and His resurrection that gives you life, uh, then your whole body is healthy. Uh, but we can't be a divided household within ourselves, where we think that we're a Christian sometimes and that we're not other times. Uh, but our whole life should be really guided by this light. We should be living and breathing uh, Christ and His Word. Pastor James Preuss is pastor at Trinity Lutheran Church in Ottumwa, Iowa, helping us today with Luke chapter 11, verses 14 to 36. Pastor Preuss, thanks for being our guest today. Hey, thank you. It's my pleasure. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. If you have any questions about Luke chapter 11 or any comments, thoughts on the show, please send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org, or you can use the open mic feature on the app to send a message to us. We always love to hear from you. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.